I am Brother Cornell West, and this is Hip Hop Can Save America. Peace and love, everybody. It's your man, Manny Faces. Just wanted to let you know that Hip Hop Can Save America is now available as a live stream show every Monday night, 9 p.m. Eastern Time on YouTube. You can find it at hiphopcansaveamerica.com slash watch. Excerpts from that show will be played here on the audio feed, so you'll still get the good interviews that you've been used to. But check out the live stream and check out my free Substack newsletter at mannyfaces.substack.com. That's filled with all kinds of stories of hip-hop innovation, inspiration, and generally hip-hop news that isn't about dumb shit. For everything hip-hop can save America, hiphopcansaveamerica.com. For everything Manny Faces, mannyfaces.com. And if you find value in this work, you can support it. We'd love to have you aboard as a supporter at patreon.com slash mannyfaces. Now let's go. The thing about hip-hop uh, today is it's smart. It's insightful. The, the way that they can communicate uh, a complex message in a very short space is, is remarkable. And a lot of these kids, they're not going to be reading the New York Times. That's not how they're getting their information. So hip hop didn't invent anything, but hip hop reinvented everything. Peace and love, everyone. My name is Manny Faces. For 10 years, I covered hip-hop music and culture in and around New York City as an independent journalist and content creator. Only the uninformed would think that hip-hop's mecca was anything less than a continuously thriving, bubbling, evolving artistic and cultural ecosystem. But that wasn't always represented well by mainstream media, hip-hop or otherwise. And it's not just musicians and artists. Many people and organizations are using hip-hop in incredibly innovative and inspirational ways. In education, in schools, in youth outreach and counseling, in theater, in science and technology, in politics and activism, in New York and beyond. So I decided I would switch focus a bit so I could help amplify the stories of these innovators as well. Because I believe they know how to use the nation's most dominant youth culture in an authentic manner, in ways that could help solve some of our biggest problems. And I believe that they should be supported. Because I believe that hip-hop can save America. And so this podcast was born. Thanks for joining me as I talk to the folks who are responsibly using hip-hop music and culture to address, adjust, and in some cases, alleviate problems facing our country. Hip-Hop Can Save America is a presentation of the Center for Hip-Hop Advocacy at hiphopadvocacy.org, a nonprofit dedicating to increasing public understanding of hip-hop culture. We're also brought to you by the award-winning Newsbeat Podcast. It's hard-hitting journalism, including interviews with thought leaders and activists about the most pressing social justice issues of our time. And it also incorporates hip-hop with music and original lyrical contributions every episode. Think of it as Democracy Now! and Black Thought had a podcast baby. You can find Newsbeat by Mori Creative Studios wherever you get your podcasts or on the web at usnewsbeat.com. Hip-Hop Can Save America airs weekly, Tuesdays at 10 p.m. on Bonfire Open Source Radio. With amazing programming like their flagship morning show, TK in the AM, Bonfire Open Source Radio is leading community radio into the future. Check them out at bonfireradio.com or on the TuneIn app. We're also available on most podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Stitcher. Now, there's something to be said for the archival and preservation and protection and promotion of hip-hop artifacts 
throughout its illustrious history. Uh, there are many colleges that are participating in this sort of archival process, including Cornell University, Harvard, and many others. My talk tonight is with Kevin Kasanovich. Kevin founded the College of William and Mary Hip Hop Collection, dedicated to documenting and preserving Virginia's hip hop history. Kevin earned his PhD writing about the Bronx River Houses, the Zulu Nation, and hip hop's international expansion. He's currently the content archivist for StockX. And Kevin and I spoke about the importance of hip hop having a presence in academic and archival spaces to preserve, protect, and promote the vast artistic and cultural contributions that hip hop has to offer. Here's my talk with Kevin Kasanovich. Yeah, my name is Kevin Kasanovich. Uh, I'm currently the content archivist at StockX in Detroit uh, before coming here uh, in February. I, I was out in Virginia and I um, founded and curated the William & Mary Hip Hop Collection dedicated to uh, documenting, preserving, providing platform for the history of uh, hip hop culture uh, in Virginia and the Mid-Atlantic. All right, that's what's up. I want to know about this uh, William & Mary Hip Hop Collection. Mm -hmm. We'll start there. Um, okay. If you could, I mean, just give me the basics. What was or is the William & Mary Hip Hop Collection all about? It all comes out of my uh, initial research. I was at William & Mary for graduate school working on my PhD, uh, and I spent a fair amount of time up at Cornell going through their hip-hop collection. I, start, I started going there a couple of years after they opened it up, so it's been amazing to see all the great stuff that they're doing up there, but I do my research trips back and forth, and I was like, this is, this is really cool what they got at Cornell, but Virginia, uh, since I was down there, and at William and Mary, which is in Williamsburg, uh, which is in Hampton Roads area, so it's real close to uh, Virginia Beach, Norfolk, Portsmouth, all those areas that you know became a real center of Virginia Mid Atlantic and and eventually hip hop in general, especially with uh, Timberland growing up, coming out of there, Pharrell and all those guys. So I thought, you know what, we we could do the same thing, have the same type of archive, do the same the do the same type of project to showcase hip hop culture. Uh, in Virginia, and luckily, right place, right time, the dean of the library, the director of special collections in the library where the archives housed, I, I knew them really well, so I already had that relationship, and they said, okay, you know, run with it, and so that was in um, fall of 2012. Now, the idea was to, initially, from the beginning, was it to do kind of the, the localized version of the, of the grander archive? Yeah, yeah, I've always been really, really interested in um, telling... Um, sort of local or regional stories. So even with, right. um, I mean, even with my work in the Bronx and Bronx River, I mean, I'm in the cradle of hip hop, in the birthplace, doing the history, tra tracing the story, but I was really interested in thinking about why is uh, Western Bronx where Herc's at? Why, why were his parties a certain way? Or were they a certain way? Were flashes a certain way? And then, you know, why, why was Bambada and the Zulu Nation out in Soundview in Southeast Bronx? Why were they a certain way? And then, you know, what, what was going on in the North Bronx, up in the canyons and stuff like that. So, yeah, I was always uh, really interested in a local story, even like a, like a micro or a hyper-local story, right? Because, right. I mean, it's, it's all building-based, block-based, you know, neighborhood-based, and then you can keep building out from there. And so those were the stories I was interested in telling, and a real practical one, right? Like, I wasn't trying to step on anybody's toes, like Cornell already was doing a really interesting job and a great job with that sort of, you know, the first generation's history, second generation history coming out of the Bronx. Right. You, right. you had like Harvard doing their thing with like a reading room and then they were attracting big names. And then, and then it was around the same time that Tulane, uh, Holly Hobbs and her 
uh, archive down in New Orleans, you know, was covering that. And then the, the DJ Screw stuff that became University of Houston. So it seemed like we were all existing, doing like s the same work, but we weren't stepping on anybody's toes, right? Mm. The, sto the story was big enough that we could all have a voice. Right. You weren't from the area, though. Like, you didn't come up in Virginia. No, I'm actually, uh, I'm a, I was born in Detroit. I grew up uh, about two hours north of Detroit. And then um, I didn't get to Virginia until until like 06. So I spent about 11 years, 11, 12 years out in Virginia. And I, I moved out there solely uh, for graduate school. And Right, gotcha. But I, but like, um, I was always interested in thinking about and doing work on, on hip hop and hip hop history and culture. I realized that this could be my sort of way in to be doing, you know, my sort of lane to do something bigger and better, as well as sticking to that sort of local regional history that I've always been fascinated on. Right. What was your, what was your hip hop credentials up until that point? Like, were you, were you into the scene? Were you just kind of a fan of the music? Were you, uh, did you come out at night like a superhero and, and huh. you know, spit bars and then yeah. come back to it? <laughs> yeah, no. Uh, I mean, really, growing up, when I first started buying buying music on my own, this would have been like, you know, 93, 94, 95. So, you know, for a while it was just whatever was, it, you know, ascendant, right? So, right. like The Chronic, uh, got into Wu-Tang, stuff like that. You know, but in terms of hip hop credentials, no, I mean, it was always a fan, always interested uh, and coming at it really from sort of I had translated, you know, my love of popular culture, my love of hip hop into uh, how I was first working on my master's and then my PhD, but how I translated it into, you know, my work as as a cultural historian. And then I was just like, basically sort of not fed up, but felt like, you know, the sort of first generation of uh, hip hop studies scholars. I was like, all right, this is a good foundation, but right. there's, there's just so many stories to tell. And I thought, like, how can I build on that? Honor them, right? But be able to do my own thing, uh, be able to look, at, tell my own history and shine some light on folks in different regions that up to that, you know, it seemed like, at least in terms of the scholarly stuff, right? I mean, we were doing a lot of great work in, on the history of New York, Bronx, right, right. sort of Mecca, but now I wanted to come to terms with like, but there's a whole country out there. Right. And they've all had their, their kind of fingerprints on the growth of hip hop in different ways, for sure. Right, right. And yeah. so, yeah, I wanted to tell, you know, different stories, but then also make sure that they connected back up into uh, a larger story, right? I mean, it was, it was right. a, and that was sort of my way of, you know, honoring uh, hip hop's commitment to uh, building a community. What do you think? So what would be some of the examples of pioneering figures or some early stuff that you incorporated into the archive, uh, the collection there uh, from the Virginia area that people outside of the area you know, might not even know of, but were really influential or really important figures in the, the foundation of hip hop in the area? Oh, in the area. So there were uh, there are a couple of guys that really I mean, they're still they're still working. They're still grinding today. Uh, but guy named DJ Mad Butcher and the other guy named uh, Jay Allen. These were guys that came up uh, late 80s, early 90s. That So Mad Butcher's he come from the western part of the state, the Blue Mountains. He has this sort of distinction, at least so far, as being the first DJ from, from Virginia's Blue Mountains. But he made a big circuit throughout the western part of the state, you know, making tapes, dubbing tapes, selling tapes, setting up a studio so other people could come to a studio and cut tapes and things like that. And... So he set up this little circuit, which you can now see, at least from uh, a local or a regional perspective, guys like uh, Poe Mac, who are out in Roanoke, who have gone on to make a little noise, you know, a little bit farther north 
hitting DC in that area, but it's all built on the foundation of this one really sort of interesting guy that, you know, he was motivated by observing hip hop both on the radio and then catching like Beat Street and some of the other movies. Right, right. So, you know, in the same way with the guy Jay Allen, I mean, he calls himself Virginia's original B-boy because uh, he claims he was starting to organize as a little kid in the early 80s, uh, different crews, different groups, and just trying out whatever they saw on TV or movies and stuff like that. Right. And, you know, uh, I don't think that he was the first in the sense that, like, you know, he's like patient zero or something. <laughs> but but thinking about in terms of the way that the culture spread spread out from New York and then was picked up as popular culture movies like that, I mean, he has to be in that sort of first rank, that first generation of kids. That, that first wave. Yeah, and <laughs> yeah. talking with some of the folks who helped set up, like Master Sound and then Thomas Crown Studios for Timbaland, like, you know, their story is very much the same as that, you know, they started out as a breaking crew before they were doing music as little kids in like the mid 80s. I think they called themselves like the Playboys Express or something mm. funny like that. But it, but it's really cool because it's the same story thinking about, all right, how does this culture get connected from where it starts? How does it travel? Right. And then and then seeing how these guys that have, you know, they go on, they grow up, they have families, they work a nine to five, whatever. But for that one little part, they're, you know, integral into the sort of chain of a, of a longer history of, uh, of hip hop and hip hop culture. Right. And it's not like, like you just mentioned Timbaland, for example, it's not like everything that was done stayed local, stayed small time. Right. Some of it did branch out and grow up into some of the big names that we then, then saw on the, on the national and international. Right. 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 Yeah. So what, uh, I guess items or, you know, what, what things are in the, the William and Mary collection that, you know, show this? Is it, is it artifacts? Is it old flyers? Is it the, the physical stuff? I know you guys also do like oral histories. Yeah, I mean, it's a mix. I mean, it, when I when I first started the collection, it was, uh, I mean, a real, real, real heavy focus on oral history because that, like, that's what I was doing at the time right? for some of my other research and stuff. And I was, I still am really committed to oral history as a, as a historical methodology so that somebody down the line is going to hear the voice of that person telling their own story, right? I mean, right. so the, you know, they may hear me chiming in from time, oh, that's interesting, or what about this, you know, but... Mm-hmm very much wanted it to be very mindful of a much longer history of appropriation and uh, I mean, just straight up theft of, you know, culture or history and all that stuff. So I want to make sure that there's a record of these folks saying like, this is me, right? this is what I'm about. And that people could go to the institution and hear the story straight from, you know, straight from their mouth. But, you know, as we built up the collection of voices, oral histories, and, you know, people started sort of spreading the word, like, oh, you know, talk to Kevin, he's, you know, you could trust him or, or whatever, or like, you know, or he's doing interesting things. People just started giving stuff. And so then we moved into the material side. And so, and then was able to carve out a space within the, the larger vault, you know, to, to keep it, right. you know, pressurized, you know, make sure the humidity's there. It's got the fire suppression, all the good stuff so that. Right. So um, what kind of, what kind of objects are those? Like, do you have you know, some favorites or? Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, we, some of my favorites are stuff that, I mean, I don't know other than the folks that made them, but like, I love just, I've never seen so many just like one-off mixtapes in my life, you know, but like, Mm. but the CD version, but what I love the most about them is the artwork, right? I mean, just like, so you see folks that were really good with, you know, Photoshop, but you also see folks that were really bad at Photoshop, but it's great, (laughs) you know, you know, it's like, this is a labor of love. The two things that I really like that I think are my favorite are 
the studio doors from a uh, a digital radio station. Um, and it was out of Norfolk. It was uh, DJ Prince Hakeem was his name. He moved studios. He got a, a bigger studio and he gave me the studio doors because for the three years up until he moved to bigger and better digs, everybody that came through, you know, had to tag the door uh, right. as well as a door frame. So when he was getting ready to move, he was like, I can't like leave this. So, you know, they cracked out the, all the door frames hmm. and took off the doors. And then he was like, do you want them? And I was like, of course. <laughs> That's cool. So I believe they're either in the process or they were like digital photographs set up so that they could be, if you can't see them in person, because you can, you can act, you can go and request them and, you know, the poor research librarian will have to go down to the vault and dig these out and bring them up <laughs> right. to you, but that they exist online and you can scan in, scan out, zoom in, zoom out, all that stuff and search the names. Right. And it's, and it's a pretty incredible uh, time capsule of, you know, I want to say like, um, 12 to 15 or 2010 to 2013, you know, something like yeah. that of just this one, one area, one era. I mean, you know, most of those folks would, would go on and, and do something else, you know? So it's great right. to, great to be able to, to see that history right there. That's interesting. I, you make the, a good case for why, you know, a collection like this is necessary. I think those of us who are in the culture know how important it is to preserve some of this stuff here from the pioneers and the people who are doing it while they're still around. It's still young enough culture i think any culture or art form should be properly documented uh hip-hop i think suffers from often less than professional attention sometimes right you right. know when it comes to journalism and and the ongoing respect for the culture as a whole right uh from itself sometimes i think hip-hop eats its, its its young sometimes right right um or as old as as the case may be yeah 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 uh so i'm curious though how two things one like what are some examples i guess of, of how the collection in your mind or, or a collection like this but specifically this one has made a positive impact outside of just existing like it's there it's great but like right, right. when you say people come to use it for research or or, or people come to visit it or you know, like what kind of positive impact has it made other than just being a a good place for this stuff to live right right variety of ways both sort of inside and outside the communities where this culture is being created and um, you know continues to be created and, and cared about and folks are really invested in it. One of the things that sort of kept me going personally, because for the most part, it was usually just uh, an army of one doing this, I mean, with, with support, you know, but, but talking to the folks in the community, the folks saying like, you know, especially since we were so sort of locally, regionally based, talking about, you know, I never thought that William Mary, the college itself or a college period would take it seriously, would feel like I belong. You know, I never saw myself being in school or in college, you know, but now not only, you know, am I there, my voice is there, but my history's there. People can come and see it. So that, you know, older folks, as well as great to see that some of these folks would bring their, would bring their young kids, you know, doing different events or, one of the nice things about it being a, a public institution is that all you have to do is have some form of uh, you know government ID and you can come in and look at the collection. But to be able to show family members and say, here I am, uh, somebody values what I'm doing in a way that I never thought was possible. So that, I mean, that was, a, that was pretty amazing in terms of thinking about Virginia itself, right? Bu building its wealth on, on slavery, right? I mean, mm -hmm. so all of a sudden then trying to not reverse that history, but shining a light and saying, you know, you're there's right. another narrative. There's another narrative. Yeah. And I'm an important part of this narrative because I'm in it, right? right. I'm, I'm in this collection. And then, of course, being able to connect students, professors, both in the school, but um, we had a, 
a lot of requests from other universities as well as high schools and things and schools in the area in the region would want to come do a tour check out the collection so not only uh, history classes history courses we would get you know musicology courses things like that the that the students themselves were either dismissive or didn't consider hip-hop seriously or only considered it rap music didn't consider it a uh, much larger or broader culture coming in and sort of having their mind open up about oh wow this is this is a lot more than i thought and making a connection with it in a way that they never would have before or the professors might never have been before so that was, so it was sort of we were bringing bringing a lot of people together uh, both within and without the community that was pretty amazing right ended up being a little bit more you know eye-opening for some folks i, I would imagine yeah uh, particularly those who are not as familiar with hip-hop music and culture you know coming in and saying oh there's there's more to it than what I've been led to believe. Right, right. It's not just, you know, <laughs> right. right. It's not just, you know, videos and, and think pieces, right? Or, right. or Geraldo excoriating uh, the youth today or something. Yeah. Uh, yeah, exactly. Well, you know, that's a whole nother topic. Right. A uh-huh. couple more things before I let you go. I guess yeah. overall, like, how important do you think that it is for hip hop to have this kind of archival attention? Um, and also, in comparison, maybe, or contrast to some of the other ones that are out there, obviously, you know, the bigger ones, even some smaller ones or, or equal size. What's some of the things that you think that the William and Mary collection that your work there did that should be taken into consideration elsewhere? Something you did that, hey, others should really follow this lead. Okay. So the second question, right? Uh, we'll, we'll do that one first. But in terms of one of the things that I'm uh, most proud of that I think should be duplicated done at the collections that are out there, but also the collections to come because there's there's so much room uh, right, and there's so right, much need. Sure. But, you know, more so than anything else is the, the oral history component. I'm a big proponent of that, you know, straight up and down the line on, on anything, but particularly with hip hop, right? Just because uh, historically communities of color, folks that are sort of seen as marginal are ignored. And, and a lot of times that story, that history is told by, comes from places like the College of William and Mary, and, and erases that history, or it tells it in a different way, or in a way that uh, that erases a, the good and the bad. And so it's uh, it's so important that that representation comes from the folks that did it. And so the, one of the things that I'm from the my uh, Bronx River work and my other work is that I never got a chance to uh, you know sit down with uh, with Buddy Esquire. I've got a whole did a whole work up on his stuff, but like mm. it's those moments where and. I've never been able to find, you know, so not just that I didn't, but that that in terms of finding like his voice on record somewhere, I mean, that would have been that would have been amazing just to hear his, you know, his thoughts, because it's I mean, it's it's great to read it. It's great. There's some great transcription books out there like Yes, Yes, Shell is a great resource. But, you know, you want to be able to hear the grain of the person's voice. Right. Inflection. So. Tulane's even, co- even, they say not to catch up, but even in the in the you know with the world of podcasting, doing what we're doing right now, there's still right. so much that hasn't you know so many people that haven't been really formally heard from. Right, exactly, and you know, so so not only you know the voice of people that are integral to it, but one of the other things I've always been interested too are the folks that are that infrastructure that's propping it up, like. You know, mom and pop record stores, uh, things like that, right? I mean, yeah, all the ancillary players yeah, in the game. You know, this yeah. whole this whole other economy that props it up as well, and mm. you know, business and culture that needs to be heard from too, because it's not you know the as a hip hop community, hip hop culture, right? It's not just about 
that onstage product or right, the people sure. performing, right? I mean, that's, so that was enough. I mean, that's, you, met, you mentioned mixtapes and how big an industry that, that came, you know, into being that was pretty much pure. I mean, there was always like bootleg tape, you know, right, industry, right. But, but hip hop made that a thing. Right, <laughs> right. Know? Yeah. And that whole support set structure there that was underneath the industry radar for a long time. Then the industry, of course, co-opted it and said, well, we can make mixtapes, you know, too. Then. <laughs> right, but right. That, but that whole phenomenon, for example, was an entire sub-economy, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that is is huge, you know, shouts to Summer and the Mixtape Museum. But yeah, 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 I was going to say, exactly. Yeah. But yeah, uh, what I love, too, the stories of how mixtapes traveled, right? I mean, it's right. sort of it's sort of tracing well it's the reverse migration but tracing you know the history of the great migration is all yeah. is all packed in there i mean like there are all these just amazing things you can yeah. pull out yeah well hip-hop was pollinated in a long <laughs> by, yeah. uh, by mixtapes in a way you know it's yep, the, yep. yeah and all but i and then i guess to to talk to why the work is so important is it comes down to i mean it's not just about just preserving it right i mean um it relates to my other point too about oral history right but when you're dealing in stuff that you know it's not even necessarily meant to last but has such a profound impact on the individuals that do it the communities and a much larger sort of national and global story to be able to interact with it with the with the objects the materials to be able to to see it right as opposed to just being told about it or or maybe seeing a representation right i mean all this stuff is always mediated the way that we interact with it right whether it comes from whether the way that it was recorded, you know, mediated by region, mediated by uh, record companies, labels, whatever, but to to be able to have that first contact with it, I mean, that's right. that's that's the essence. I mean, that that's where the professional historian, right? We look at the record and we say, this is why it's important. I'm gonna tell you. This is an opportunity for people to say, well, actually, I'm gonna be able to make up my own mind because I can go see. It. And another way to put it, right? If uh, if hip hop doesn't do it, right? If hip hop education doesn't do it, nobody's gonna do it. Right, right. That that has been shown to be true. Or they get, or they'll do it wrong. <laughs> or it'll be done wrong. Right, right, yeah. right. Yeah, no, that's absolutely uh, important, and that's why I think the authenticity of it is so important. You know, hip hop being used in educational spaces. You know, I talked to some of the hip hop ed educators and, and mm-hmm. folks like yourself that'll say we have to be wary of the 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 gimmicky kind of treatment that it might get, or you know, using hip hop as kind of the cool factor, but then you don't really have a cultural connection after you know past that. So that's why I think the archival, the documentation, the storage, the presentation of all this, you know, historical stuff in the same vein that you would preserve and 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 document any other cultural movement, right. especially one that's grown and become ubiquitous throughout the world. So right, uh, right. The, the work you're doing is definitely important. You were there. Now you're where you are now. Right. Just give me a quick. What are you up to these days? What's the what's happening else elsewhere with you? And uh, and then we'll let you go. Yeah, no problem. So my current position is a, is as content archivist with StockX. I don't know if you're familiar with the company. StockX itself came to be as as a platform to connect initially with uh, sneakerheads, a sneaker culture, but as a the sneaker community with each other. Right? We're doing it virtually and through the space of of resale. So how I got sort of connected and hooked up, and this is of course streetwear, sneakers, things like that, and hip hop, right? Uh, a long overlapping history and so what StockX was looking for when I when I interviewed and, and went through all the stuff is they were trying to figure out like how do we make sure that we, we are connecting all this cool data all this cool stuff with and, and staying true and staying authentic to the community that this comes out of right because I mean it's 
It's a company built out by by sneakerheads. But we want to make sure that we stay authentic, right? And so that so that's sort of my role is to make sure that we're telling the stories, we're we're capturing the right voices, that huh. that it that it remains off what it has been from the be- beginning, uh, an authentic company. Got it. So that's interesting to have uh, sort of that content curation, content overseeing for. I guess a company, a, a firm, or a project that isn't normally associated with content in that manner. Right. Yeah. No. And was super excited about it is that I see I see this position and this work that I'm doing now as a continuation of the work that I keep that I'm doing because like I'm now telling and working on sneaker stories from the folks that I got to know really well. Right. In right, Virginia, right. and I'm now starting to do the same that same sort of community work, community history with sneaker folks uh, in Detroit and just as much as like doing a, a full-throated university uh, hip-hop collection it's a really small world as you know right, <laughs> right. the right. hip-hop ed piece but the same thing is doing a sort of a, a full-throated content archive or something focusing on the you know the history and the culture of what the company does that's a small world too so it's like I get to mm. keep I get to keep sort of you know, taking these same skills and doing these similar types of things and, and taking a new direction. So, and in my mind, it, it's all built off what I was thankfully able to incorporate and learn from, you know, investigating and studying hip hop. So it's like, so going back to that first question, right? Like, or that first thing, like, where do you get your credentials? How do you see yourself in terms of hip hop? I mean, thankfully, I was sort of able to be brought in enough and say like, okay, you can have this little, this little piece, this little corner, you know, think about it, run with it. And you know, without, without it, I mean, I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't been able to do, you know, anything that I've been doing, been able to do with my life for the last right, decade. Right. So, I mean, it's all because of hip hop. No, that's what's up. And it's like I said, it's, it's, I think it's honorable and noble work sharing what hip hop has to offer with people who are outside of the culture. Like that's where I think the biggest disconnect is. And, and to do it in places that are established institutions, sometimes we groan, we look at the, you know, they don't understand us. We don't need them. We're not right, we right. Need the mainstream acceptance. You know, but sometimes it's not bad. It's a good place to have these things because you, you can then, you, it does lend credibility to it, but it also just, it exists. It, it's somewhere you can actually, like you said, go there and see it and be a part of it and understand it better. And that's not often easy to do in, in conversations online, social media. But when they appear, when they're right there in the midst of it, I think that there's something to be said for that. So that's why I'm a, you know, I'm a big fan of the archives and the, uh, the collections like the William & Mary collection that you put together. And yeah. uh, thank you for your work. I think people appreciate it. Oh, no. Yeah. Thank you, though. I mean, I mean, really, I was just, it's all luck. And, <laughs> you know, and I mean, and all thanks goes to, I mean, everybody uh, over the years that has been kind enough to put up with me, put up with my, you know, constant requests for oral histories right, for right. donations, you know? So, I mean, it, the collection exists because, because the community wanted it to be, you know? Right. Well, you say representation matters and it's mm-hmm. good to see our hip hop works being displayed and respected and preserved and protected. So mm-hmm. yeah, good work. So listen, uh, that's all I got. Um, cool. you gave me a great rundown of your work and, uh, and what you've done. I wish you all the best with uh, the new endeavors yeah, uh, yeah. and and continued success with the old ones. Yes. Uh, yeah, yeah. You know, and uh, yeah, we'll touch base again later on, find out, you know, how, uh, how that's evolved and uh, other things you might be getting into down the line. But man, I thank you for taking the time out and kicking it with me. Yeah, no, I appreciate it, man. This is great. Hip Hop Can Save America is a presentation of the Center for Hip Hop Advocacy at hiphopadvocacy.org, a nonprofit dedicated to increasing public understanding of hip hop culture. We're also brought to you by the Newsbeat Podcast, hard-hitting journalism, including interviews with thought leaders and activists about the most pressing social justice issues of our time. 
It also incorporates hip-hop with music and original lyrical contributions every episode. Think of it as Democracy Now! and Black Thought had a podcast baby. Find Newsbeat by Moore Creative Studios wherever you get your podcasts or on the web at usnewsbeat.com. Hip-Hop Can Save America with Manny Faces airs weekly, Tuesdays at 10 p.m. on Bonfire Open Source Radio. With amazing programming like their flagship morning show, TK in the AM, Bonfire Open Source Radio is leading community radio into the future. Check them out at bonfireradio.com or on the TuneIn app. Hip-Hop Can Save America is created and hosted by me, Manny Faces. I also produce the theme music. Special thanks to our associate producer, Summer McCoy. You can find out more about me at mannyfaces.com. And find out more about Summer's hip-hop and tech-related initiative, Hip Hop Hacks, at hiphophacks.com. Thank you for listening. Once again, thanks for listening to another episode of Hip Hop Can Save America, a.k.a. the world's most important hip hop podcast. My name is Manny Faces. You can find out more about the show at hiphopcansaveamerica.com. You can watch the show now as a live stream on YouTube, hiphopcansaveamerica.com slash watch. Check back for all the replays as well. The interviews from the live stream will be brought here onto the audio feed, so you always get the best of the live stream. You can also check out our Substack newsletter. It's free at mannyfaces.substack.com filled with stories of hip-hop innovation, inspiration, and in general, hip-hop news that isn't about dumb shit. <laughs> Eternal shouts to our consulting producer, Summer McCoy. Be sure to check out her dope initiatives, Hip Hop Hacks and the Mixtape Museum. We'll be back soon with another dope episode, but check us out on the live stream as well. Mondays, 9 p.m. Eastern, hiphopcansaveamerica.com slash watch. Until next time, it's Many Faces wishing peace and love to you and yours.